Cast. Well, hello, friends, and welcome to episode 137 of the Burden of Command podcast. I'm your host, Earl Breon, and this podcast is a production of The Leadership Phalanx. To find out more about me and The Leadership Phalanx and what we do, visit leadershipphalanx.com. That's leadership, P-H-A-L-A-N-X.com. Now, today's guest in this episode is going to be Mr. Chris Ciccinelli. Chris is CEO and President of Pure Romance and has grown the small family business in Cincinnati into the world's largest in-home party company of its kind. A front-page story in the St. Louis Dispatch called Pure Romance, the new Tupperware of the 2000s. And today, the company has annual revenues of more than $350 million. He spends over 200 days a year on the road giving motivational seminars and personally training and meeting Pure Romance's independent consultants, which now number more than 40,000 in every U.S. state and abroad. In 2018, after their eight-year-old coming out as transgender, Chickenelli founded the Living with Change Foundation to help trans youth and their families. As you see, Chris is... uh, Got an interesting background. He's in an interesting business. And, um, you know, some people may feel that this is a little taboo subject to talk about and may question why I would have somebody like Chris on the show. Well, you'll find out very quick why. Uh, Chris has a lot of insight into business, a lot of insight into how to grow a business. And his message of empowerment, uh, especially for women, is one that, that is really needed right now. So during the course of this conversation, we're going to hit on a lot of topics. We're going to talk about his business, talk about uh, working with his mom to grow the business, and you're going to come away with a lot of great insight. So without further ado, let me go ahead and get out of the way, let that stinger play, and let you get into this outstanding interview with Chris Ciccinelli. All right. Well, Chris, welcome to this episode of the Bird to Command podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really am, uh, appreciate being here today. No, I, I love having you here. I really appreciate you being a guest on on the show and being a, a fellow podcaster yourself. I know you know how important guests are, and uh, you know I just I really appreciate you taking your time. Um, and before we get into your podcast and the book and all the great things you're doing, uh, I want to start you out where I start all my guests. When you hear the phrase "the burden of command," what does that mean to you? You know, when I hear that phrase, and Earl, it's kind of interesting. Uh, when I hear, when I first heard that, the burden of command, um, I, you know, I think sometimes it's all of the heavy lifting that leaders sometimes need to be able to communicate to their teams, to their staff, uh, to the people around them. Because I do believe that as a leader, um, you know, we have a lot of things that are on our plate, and I and I felt that that was the first thing. And when I heard that, um, that meant that hey, there sometimes when you're that leader, you're going to have a burden that's going to be falling around with you. So that was what I I thought. I was like, okay, this is my best answer for that question. Yeah, no, I love it. It's a good, it's a good answer, and it's you know because it's true. Uh, you know, it, it, it is kind of a fluid thing, and I like the way you put it. Follows around with you. So, uh, no, I like that answer. Appreciate you uh, sharing that. Um, all right. So my guest heard a little bit about you in the in the pre roll bio. Um, but I want to talk a little bit about uh, The Secret Is You, uh, the, the book you have out now. 
Um, and the subtitle is How I Empowered 250,000 Women to Find Their Passion and Change Their Lives. Now, that's a, that's a pretty interesting subtitle there. 250,000 lives, well, 250,000 women's lives changed. And uh, who knows how many other lives changed as a result of that, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and can I be honest? It's been, you know, when you think about that, uh, this book, The Secret of You, um, this was something that I really want to be able to help with, you know, entrepreneurs, you know, coming out of COVID, I, I had seen and heard so many people talk about, you know, they need a side hustle or they were going to start up their business. And, and I had friends of mine even saying the same thing, Chris, you know, I'm thinking about starting something on my own. Um, is there any way you can help me as you know, you kind of went out there and you've built this business. Is there anything you can help me with? And, and for years I've, I've wanted to write kind of a, uh, kind of a tell all, how did I do it? Putting some things that were easy and simple out there for people that wanted to go out there and start a business or better yet to build a business. And yes, it's true. I've, I've helped 350,000 small businesses now, you know, year to date of being able to go out there and figure out the biggest secrets of how to go out there and keep your business, not just growing, not just starting, but also making sure it stays alive. You know, the, the rate of failure in small businesses is 80% in the first year. Um, 90% of them don't even make it to five years. So it, it's, it's really was this kind of tell all to kind of help people understand that the biggest secret of all is how do I lead myself first? I think so many people, when they sit back and go, what's the secret to success? Hey, Chris, how did you build a company from a million dollars to 350 million? What did you do? I need to know everything. And they like, is there a blueprint? What should I be following? Uh, what type of software package? Did you do it all through media advertising? And I have to sometimes tell people, pump your brakes. Let's go back to the first most important thing is, and why we, d we talk about it in the book is you have to figure out how to lead yourself first. And that's what I've worked with, with business owners over the years is they always feel like if they are making it or if they're not making it, it's out of their, out of their control of their circumstances. If people are doing well, people are like, Oh my gosh, you know, it's doing well because of the economy. It's doing well because of this, this, and this. Or if they're doing bad, it's also, I'm doing bad because of the economy or it's doing bad because I don't have enough contacts. And what I try to get them to understand is it starts with the process that you need to figure out first, which is how do I lead me? And that's why when this book came out, I wanted more people to understand that they go out there and they spend time designing all these aspects of their life. They go design a kitchen, they go design a bathroom, they go design a bedroom or build a house, whatever it might be, but so few people actually design the life that they want. And I think that's the biggest reason for me, you know, writing this book was tell people that they really do have control over this aspect. They really do have control to go out there and build what it is that they want. And I think that that was a big reason for me to write this book coming out of COVID and hearing so many people saying, I, 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 I want a side hustle. Side hustle is the new security. I don't want to leave my job or my family's income into somebody else's hands outside of my decision-making power. And so for me, that was why, you know, when we looked at the secret of, uh, as you it was a perfect timing to come out with this. No, I love everything you said there, and you're 100% right. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I started the Leadership Phalanx. And, you know, one of the things I talk about heavily through that is is this idea of ownership and how to correctly take ownership of a situation. 
Um, and, and I love it because what you're talking about here, you know, you use the word control. Uh, I like that word. And, and it's also power, uh, you know, is there like when you, you realize that you have that control, you have that power, that means you can control your own outcomes, right? Yeah. I mean, I think that's the biggest thing. I think a lot of people are so reactionary in these, in, in today. They don't think that they have the power. They don't think that they can actually control or, or direct their lights on where they need to go. And what that really gets down to is how do you take somebody from being reactive? Our whole entire lights, all we've done has been reactive. We react to, you know, how our, parents tell us to go cleaner rooms, not cleaner rooms. Instead of just, just cleaning the rooms, be proactive. You know that that's going to come down. You know, my mom was always one of those people that, hey, you, you know, when you wake up, you make your bed every morning. I didn't want to have to be told to make my bed because I know that the reactive side of that was, you know what? She's going to be frustrated. She's going to be angry. It's not done. It's not made. And you know what? At the end of the day, I could get myself out of all of that if I would just do what I'm supposed to be doing in the day, in the morning by just making my bed. Being proactive is a really big thing about having control in one's life. And I, I tell people all the time, they're like, well, you know, how do I become more proactive if I don't know what I need to do? And I'm like, that's why designing your future, designing exactly what you want to do. We have Pinterest is making, Pinterest has made billions and billions of dollars, right? They, they, a great or, organization, great company. And all they do is they basically give you a board to put all these amazing pictures on of if you want to go vacation somewhere, if you're getting ready for Christmas decorations, or if you're getting ready to go out there, uh, and, and do some sort of theme the party at your home. Well, the same thing goes true. You can create your own Pinterest board of what you want to do for your business, for your life. And it's through interactions like Earl today, you'll be my Pinterest board, right? Like you'll be somebody that I have, that's been brought into my life. What did I take away from Earl that I want to be able to say, Hey, this is something I want to add to my life. I like how he does this. And you just add these little components of, of all of these different Pinterest pictures of all these people we come in contact with or places we might have traveled or, you know, things we want, might want to buy. And that's where we start starting to design our life. That's where we start getting more control over the things that we want. That's where we start becoming more proactive, not reactive. And it leads down to the final piece of this is that most people talk about faking things. And I think that that is one of the worst things you could do. You hear it all the time. Fake it till you make it. Fake it till you make it. I'm more on the side, believe it till you become it. Because I think more and more people People, as they start gaining control, they start designing their life differently. They start thinking about every interaction as a Pinterest moment that they put on their board. Then people start creating the life of what they want and where they want to go. And that was the designing their life and not just living it by default. Too many people had stopped dreaming. And I hear this all the time. People go, oh, Chris, you're just, you're, you know, you get on a motivational, you know, kind of rant on this. And I'm like, no, you know, man, I, there was times that in going from a million dollars to 350 million, I traveled in a U-Haul from city to city to city. You know, I would spend money that I did not have because I believed that this business opportunity was something that people needed. I believed it so hard, so hard that I would, you know, I would be missing weekend events. My friends would be going out doing different things, but I believed enough in my product, enough in myself and enough that this was the right direction, that that's where the achievement came in. And, you know, you don't just do something and it just all of a sudden it just kind of blows up. You got to put your time into it. You've got to be the person that's being proactive and not being reactive. If I every day was waiting for my customers 
to get sales, I'd be waiting for a long period of time. We have to proactively go out and get people to want to do business with us. If it's proactively to network, proactively to have them in the funnel, proactively to, hey, maybe they do have a referral that they'd like to be able to pass to us. All of these things are why I believe so big in, in my life is that people, they don't buy products. They buy people. And that's exactly why when you think about The Secret is You and why that was so important, it goes back to those things. How do we go out there and make sure that we are teaching people more and more, don't fake it till you make it, believe it till you become it. And and those are big things that I will tell you that that have been able to help me and allow me to be a lot more proactive in my life. Oh, man, that was powerful. Everything you just said there, I really uh, I really like that. And, and uh, you know, one of the things that I like when I'm I'm teaching leaderships, I like to inject history into the conversation. And what I like about your book is you start off uh, with some some history of of how you kind of got on this path. Mm-hmm. And in the very first uh, the very first chapter, humble beginnings, you you share a story. So you know, as I mentioned in the pre roll bio, uh, the company you keep talking about, taken from a million to three hundred fifty million dollars, is is pure romance. Uh, you sell intimacy and sexual health products. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of societal stigma around that topic. And that's kind of where it started for you, right? You you, you had an incident. And I'll let you share the story because I yeah, think you tell yeah. it great. But that's where it started for you, right? Yeah, it started there. You know, you think about this, you know, uh, my mom was working for four pediatricians, right? Barely making any money, uh, you know, $4.25 an hour is what she's making, you know, back in, you know, when I was in, uh, in, in grade school. And so, uh, a Phil Donahue show had co- come on and, and my mom had actually decided that, Hey, look, I need to make some extra money. I need to be able to do kind of like a little bit of a side hustle. Uh, she had done, you know, discovered toys, done Mary Kay, done some of these other different types of products. And, um, this product line, kind of it kind of allowed her to look and say hey this is this is something different that I'm able to add to my add to my customer base one my relationship wasn't the greatest at that time with my my husband and I want to be able to go out there and be able to help women educate themselves about their bodies about their sexual wellness about their sexual health so I remember you know I'd always see my mom go and leave at nighttime and I never knew exactly what what was where she was going or what she was doing but I always knew that she would always make sure that you know when she came back home we always had you know, you know, being able to take care of us if it was being able to get new clothes for school or if it was whatever. But one time as I was in getting into junior high, um, you, you know, my mom had been doing this now for about, uh, you know, four or five years now. And next thing you know, um, my mom had always been doing kind of a radio show. It was Bill Cunningham, big, you know, personality here in Cincinnati, Ohio. Yep. And uh, the, this, this, my mom did the show with him. And so the next day at the bus stop, one of the boys comes up and goes, Oh my God, you're, you're the, your mom is the sex toy lady. Oh my God. There's a sex toy, the kid of the sex toy lady. I'm like, what, who are you pointing to? So I'm looking around. I have no idea who this guy is pointing at. Oh yeah. My dad and I were driving home. He was a high schooler. I was, a, I was again, like I said, a junior high kid. He started you know, saying this and I got angry. You know, here's this guy calling out my mom, saying my mom's a sex toy later. I didn't know really what a sex toy was at that time. And all I remember is him and I starting to fight. And the bus driver ended up coming, sets us in two different seats. We get to school and they take us right to the principal's office and they call our parents. Well, my mom came in and picked me up and uh, I'll never forget that day. She came in and picked me up and she goes, Christopher, what in the heck are you doing? I said, mom, 
you know, so Billy, you know, called you the sex toy lady. I can't believe you, you know, I don't understand. What do you mean this is what you do? She goes, wait, 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 back up. She goes, let me make sure I educate you on something. You know how your dad and I, you know, got a divorce? And I said, yeah, I know how that, yeah. She goes, well, what I'm doing every day is I'm going out there and teaching people how to keep their relationships from not having that happen, making sure people do communicate and giving them a way to communicate, Chris. And she goes, you know, I, you know, I don't know what Billy said, but I will tell you that if you have questions about what I do or what it is, I, I want to sit down and want to educate you. So my mom literally, you know, I said, I really don't want to know, you know, whatever. And she goes, well, let me tell you something. If anybody else like Billy or anybody else says anything about what I do or what, what they're doing, let me tell you something. I will let you take the invoice of what their parents buy and I'll let you put it on the bowl and toward at school. And I just remember her sitting there saying that to me. And I, at the time I didn't know what she meant, but now as I got older, it's kind of funny to think about, about that. But the, here's a woman that went out there and, you know, people would, you know, if it's concerned citizens for family values, they would pick it in front of our house and tell my mom she was running a brothel. Well, really what she was doing was she was cleaning up an industry that was very male dominated. She was giving women a space to talk about their, their wellness when it came to their sexual health. She was giving them a very, you know, intimate area where they can normalize some of the things that were happening in their relationship. And I remember, you know, after all of that happened, I went to college, played football at Mount Union College, left from there, went to Atlanta for my first job. I was working in Atlanta and Chicago for a publicly traded company. And then in 2000, my mom calls me. Now, my mom had started this business in, you know, based in her house. And she's like, hey, I really think I have something here. I think that there's an opportunity for more and more people uh, to get educated from this product, to be able to, you know, help the divorce rate. It's creeping past 60%. We also think that there's a lot of opportunity for women to make money on a side job as well. I said, okay, great. What, what does that have to do with me, mom? She goes, well, I'd like you to come back to Cincinnati, Ohio and help me scale it. I said, there is no way I am moving back to Cincinnati, Ohio and doing this. I'll get a job nowhere in the world, mom. I am, I've got my career. I'm heading down direction. She goes, listen, you know how to market. You know how to storytell. You know how to merchandise. I need you to help me expand this because right now we're just in Cincinnati and in Detroit. She had taken it from the time she started it to about a million dollars. And, you know, she did really well. It was a great business. She was making very good money. But yeah. just like any great kid, I was like, you know what? I'm going to go back. I will go and I will help my mom. I thought I'd only be there for, you know, uh, maybe six months, help her do this and, and then move on to do something else. Nope. 21 years later, I'm still here. But it was funny. You know, I sat down with her for the first day of, of, of when I came into work with her. And she said to me, she goes, so what's, what's the game plan on how we're going to grow this? I said, what do you mean? She goes, well, I need you to come up with a game plan on how we're going to scale this. You're brought back to market this. I said, well, do we have a five-year plan? She goes, well, my plan was I sent you to college so you can figure this out. So that was, that was my <laughs> first interaction with my mom uh, as, my, as my boss. And, um, it, but it was, it was magical because we did get in a U-Haul. We did invest uh, time in working with small business owners. We did sit back and teach them how to run inventory, how to go out there and set goals, not just setting goals, but how do you achieve the goals that you're setting? And, and we did that. And, and that allowed us to really start, you know, really helping uh, small businesses and, and, and really figuring out exactly what they needed to do to be successful. Yeah, no, I mean, and that's such a great story. And, you know, it, it's a little, it's very interesting, right? Because we, as, as you mentioned a couple of times through there, this kind of, 
you know, stigma that's around that industry, you know, people protesting in front of your mom's house. And, you know, when the kid, you know, called her the sex toy lady and how that made you feel. And, and then like for most kids, just this, you know, there's this, this kind of horror image of, you know, walking in their parents having sex or finding their, their mom's sex toy or whatever it is. Right. But here you have your mom saying, Hey, I want you to come help me get this business that that's exactly what we do. And then you've got to like have these, these conversations with your mom in the room about these <laughs> yeah. items. Right. And, yeah. and, but, uh, you know, so I'm getting here is like, is, you know, good on her for, for seeing that and taking it on. Uh, good on her for having a plan to, you know, send you to college. So, you know, that's some long-term projection stuff there. Right. Oh yeah. But how, how do you, when, like when, when women want to come in and join the pure romance family, do you, do you see a lot of that awkwardness still or has oh. has it normalized quite a bit? You know, I think it's normalized quite frequently because I think the discussion, you know, when when you think about this, you know, for years and years and years, it was always in the back of a magazine, a CD right. truck stop. It was always kind of like a very taboo situation. And I think, um, you know, the way we have operated the business has been very, very professional. Uh, we lead with education first. Um, I think we don't lead with product. We lead with education. We lead with, you know, trusted, you know, resource. Um, most of the people that come into a party, you know, they, they know or are an online event. They know that they're going to be asking questions or getting questions asked to them that they might not even ask their doctors, right? This is like, we get a lot of the, um, you know, kind of almost lay sexual health professionals. So I, I don't, I think more and more people are becoming more comfortable with the, with the topic, but they're, but they, but you got to put people in a comfortable setting. You got to make sure too, you allow for a very, uh, a very open community to have the discussion in. Uh, you got to make sure that people are relaxed. Um, you know, that this is, this is important. And I think the way we've been able to do it, the way, you know, my mom has set it up as far as to, you know, make the comp the conversation comfortable for women. Uh, that's why people always ask, well, why can't men come to parties? Well, to be honest with you is this is the time frame for women to sit back and have the discussion um, about if it's body image issue, if it's, you know, something that they feel like they're, they're not going well in the relationship. This is a safe space for them to be able to come. So I do think the way we operate makes customers feel comfortable. They know we're not trying to lead with product. We lead with education, which I think has been a huge game changer for us as a business. Um, and also I think more people now look and go, man, they're really more on the sexual health side of the things and not so much on what people have in their perception of, of what we do. Yeah, no, and I love it, and that—that's exactly what I love about your your business and what you're doing. Like, it reminds me of uh, back in episode 115, I interviewed a gentleman named Charlie Bales, uh, who is a current CEO of uh, ABC Fine Wine and Spirits down in Florida, yep. and he he went through the same thing what you just were discussing uh, with quote liquor stores, right? He's mm -hmm. changed the name uh, the game of liquor stores, and these are. You know, these are fine, experiential establishments. And, you know, it's not just going down to the package store and coming out with a brown paper bag. Like, it's an experience to go there. And I think that's a lot of what you're doing. And, and I love it because, you know, these are, you know, when we talk about all types of wellness. This is a very important piece of, of mental health, of, of overall fulfillment is, is sexual health, right? 100%. I think so many people forget that, you know, um, you know, I, I'll never forget that I went to a, uh, a young cancer survivor coalition event one night and my mom and I were invited there to do kind of some education on just kind of sexual wellness and, 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 and having a discussion. So we followed up a doctor panel 
and literally, um, you know, these doctors are asking all these questions and these are cancer survivors. And this one woman comes up and she said, Hey, I got a, I got a question for you, doc. Um, when is my husband going to touch me again? Um, I feel like, you know, that our, our intimate life has really, you know, has went south. He doesn't, you know, look at me as a woman like anymore. I feel like I just, I, I just want to be, I just want to be intimate with my partner. And, and this doctor stood up and goes, that's sex is a luxury. You know what? You're lucky to be alive. And I, saw this woman just start crying and she was like so at the end you know we then have our turn where we're coming up the doctors have left and my mom goes that will never happen again we are going to help educate these women that they can have their their sex life because it's not a luxury this is this is this sex is not a luxury it is it's part of who we are as human beings and it is a huge component of mental physical and emotional health um and and so we know as we've talked to millions and millions and millions of women over the past 21 years actually the past three decades apologize that that this is something that I think so many people think it's it's just you know it's nice to have. No, this is just this is a, a very intimate part of our lives that we need. Yeah, no, I love it, and 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 that's you know, and you got there exactly because it was kind of where I was I was hoping we would get because you know I say on this podcast quite often that that all leadership is is just another type of relationship, and and that's you know what I see that you all uh, do is is help with those relationship pieces help uh, answer those questions. And, you know, yeah, on a business level, no, you're not probably going to go out and buy, uh, you know, buy pure romance products for your staff that might no. cross some lines, Yeah, no. but you know, you all have made a business out of this and, and have empowered. And I love you using the word empower, empowered women to be able to take control of their lives in that sort of way and, and build those relationships among themselves and get into this, as you mentioned at the beginning, this self-leadership cycle yep. where they don't have to depend on other people and they don't have to, when a doctor says, you know, sex is a luxury, they don't have to take that at face value because they know better now, right? Well, I, it's so funny, Earl. You know, it, it goes back to a couple of things. I think that the big thing that we all have to remember is that if we really want to be comfortable in life, right, we want to be comfortable in life, then we've got to have the uncomfortable conversations. And, and that's really an important thing. When you're a leader out there and you are, you know, going out there and saying, hey, listen, what is it? What does it mean to to go out there and be a leader today? What does it mean to be somebody that can give an unbelievable experience? I tell people more than anything, it's if you can if you can find happiness in being uncomfortable you will find that you are starting to live a more comfortable lifestyle and i know that sounds kind of counterintuitive what most people think like why do i want to live uncomfortable that doesn't make any sense but that's where most of the money is made that's where most of the change is made you know i look at this all the time we had to live a very uncomfortable lifestyle where people were sitting there having perceived notion of who we were what we were about and all the while you know it, you know it it would get on us and we would be like, oh my gosh, this is like, it's so hard. It's why are people treating us like this? Like we're just normal people trying to give in, uh, information and empower people about a topic most people are so uncomfortable about talking about. But what we found during that thing is that the more uncomfortable that we, more comfortable we came with being uncomfortable, the more money we made, the more people we would be able to touch, the more people we would be able to empower, and the more people would be wanting to have and be part of the conversation. And so I do believe that that is one of the biggest successes that, you know, most people have to understand. If you're finding that you want to be out there and be that leader, 
you just got to find some, you got to find some happiness in being uncomfortable because that's where the comfortability for your life will come. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. I love it. You know, as, as a former active duty Marine myself, that whole idea of uh, get comfortable being uncomfortable rings very true to me. Um, and, and I love it. And, uh, you know, because, you know, the truth is, you know, that scenario that you mentioned, you know, a lady having cancer, asking that question, you know, if you're doing your job as a leader, you may not get that exact question, but if you're paying attention and you're building those relationships and you notice that one of your employees goes from being stellar to maybe underperforming a little bit, or they go from being outgoing and bubbly to being reserved, you may have to have that conversation and you may find out, well, hey, you know, I just got diagnosed with this. My life's in a wreck. And they may actually blur out, you know, and my husband doesn't touch me anymore. Yep. And, and you know, that's a conversation that is going to get uncomfortable for both of you. But if you handle that with uh, maturity and respect instead of the way some people might handle it, uh, you, you gain a lot more credit as a leader, right? 100%. I think, and that's the biggest thing, you know, I think sometimes it is having those very uncomfortable conversations that people don't want to have, but addressing them and, and but, but addressing them from a, a position of grace, class and respect. I think that that's what we need to make sure that we're, that we're instilling in our life. You know, it got me thinking too, you know, another, another kind of big thing, you know, when you brought up being a Marine and by the way, you know, appreciate your service, My you pleasure. know, um, you know, one of the biggest things that I think that you will probably agree with on this is, is any type of leader. Any type of person that's out there trying to run something today or build something today, you know, we live by a couple of things. One is detaching from the outcome and committing to the process, right? So many people I talk to, you know, that's why I wrote this book too, was, you know, so many people want to be wealthier. They want to be able to make money or they want to have a six-figure job. Well, everybody thinks it and they say it, but very few will do it. And the reason that they don't do it is because too many people are fixated on the outcome. The outcome is great. I love the outcome. Like when we sit back and say, hey, we want to hit, you know, $400 million in sales. Okay, that's the outcome. What are the processes that we're going to do every day to get us to the outcome? And the process is the process of the extra phone call, the extra email, the extra text message, the process of staying a student, the process of making ourselves better, the process of improving our customer service, the process of picking up the phone. All of those things are what really I see too many people, They nobody likes the process because nobody's cheering for them when they're making the phone call or the email or whatever. Everybody loves the sale because now you're becoming the hero. You're becoming where people stand up and go, oh my God, that's a great product. Thank you so much. And I think, you know, you get that as being a Marine. Like it is the process. It's how many times can you drill something a day to improve or to get better on and make it more efficient. And I do think that, you know, that's one thing when it looks at the secret of you. If you're out there and you're listening to this right now, you said, hey, I want to go out there and start my own business. I want to go out and make six figures. I want to go out there and build a million dollar team. Great. Awesome. All of those things are wonderful. But what are the processes you need to find out first that's going to get you the six figure salary, that's going to get you to the, the, the million dollar organization or million dollar business that you're trying to create. And then what you need to do is you need to forget about the hundred K. You need to forget about the million dollars and do the processes that a million dollar person would do, a hundred thousand dollar person would do. And that has been a game changer when people go, wait, I can do this. Yeah. Cause once you start believing, believing in yourself, being proactive, believing gives you the achieving ability that you want to go out there and do. And people get back and say, Chris, how do you know all this? Well, when you work with 250,000 women business owners and you, you know, my track record is taking and working with them where they started zero and now making six figures, you know, 
I, I, I have a bandwidth of saying, take this information that I've worked on for 21 years and apply it in your life, apply it in your business because it works. This isn't like somebody that's theory talking about like how to run a business or how to build a business. I've done it several times. And, and that is valuable. That is extremely valuable. And, and what I like about what you said there, right, is, is uh, I don't know if you've, you've heard this concept, uh, finite and infinite games. Are, are you oh, familiar yeah. with it? Oh, yeah. 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 I yep. got it. Actually, it's in my bookshelf. I love it. Love it. Which yeah. one? The, uh, Simon Sinek or, or the Simon Sinek, the infinite game? Uh, right. Yeah. Yep. So the the it originated with a gentleman named uh, James Cars, and uh, you know Simon took it and, and prettied it up. But you know what I love about it, right? Is is what you're talking about there with uh, detachment from the outcome, right? Is is the yep. danger in that is if you say, hey, I want to make six figures this year. You know, when you do that, you give yourself an out. Hey, I, I won. I won. Right? Yep. Yep. And, and you can take that pack off. So maybe you made six figures in six months. Well, what can you do with that next six months? So you know, make that goal something that is is. Hey, I want to make as much as I can, or I want to be as successful as I can. Not put that artificial uh, barrier finish line on it, because uh, it's good to have a goal, but it can be counterproductive if you're not paying attention. I love it because that is so true. You know, that's why, you know, it's it's interesting when I hear people go, ah, oh, Chris, I hit my goal. I have goal fatigue. I've already achieved it. I'm like, all right, you know, so are you playing, you hit the goal. So what's your next goal? I don't know. I, I, I got the house that I want and I got the car that I wanted. I got this. I'm like, okay, so how do you understand that, that this, it's never over? There is no panacea. This isn't an end. There is no, like, okay, I hit this and I'm done. I deal with this with a lot of salespeople all of the time, business owners. Um, and that's where we have to get them to get on the mindset that that goal fatigue is something that they've got to work through. Because you're right, once they get to 100,000, why can't they do it the next year and the next year after that, next year? How many people do you see go out there when they win a sales goal or a record or set a record, but they don't do it year in and year out? You think about like a Tom Brady. That guy, he's playing every year for one reason, one reason only, and that's not to win a Super Bowl. It's to win every game. That that, that that's the difference, right? He's not going there to play. He doesn't sit back and go on his vision board. I want to. I'm going to be the Super Bowl. He goes no. Every pass he throws, he wants to complete. Every time he runs it, he every time he's under center, he wants to get that that first down, and he wants to get him to a touchdown. That's the way you know you have to think. Don't be just thinking about winning the Super Bowl. Don't be thinking about just this this year. But how do you do it every year? And I think that's why I like the book with with Simon Sinek. I think he's so so true uh, on on many things that he says. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. I mean, they're they're both. Great. He did a much better job of of unpacking Cars's kind of original ideas, like. Uh, for, for anybody listening, like the Cars book is great, but it gets dry real quick as he gets mm -hmm. off on some major tangents. Simon does a great job like he normally does, and, and, and that guy's just magic. Yeah. Um, so I want to talk, you were talking about difficult conversations here a little bit. And one of the things I love, again, that you share in your book, uh, and, and I want to bring this up because I know, you know, it's something I struggle with uh, mildly. I've, I'm finding more and more of my friends have struggled with this a little bit. Uh, you know, you went through this process and did all these things uh, while dealing with dyslexia, right? Oh, yeah. Big, big time. Yeah. And, and so how was how was that process? Like, how did you find out and, and what were your steps to kind of, I guess you could say, overcome that? 
Well, I'll, I will tell you, Earl, that, you know, it's kind of almost a sensitive subject even today in, in, in writing this book, you know, as you know, and you probably talked to a lot of authors on there, we all do, um, you know, we have to read the book and we do that for, uh, if it's for Kindle, if it's for whatever it might be in this one, um, you know, I, I had, to, I had to read the book because they want me as the author to read it. Well, it made, it brought up everything from fourth grade again, you know, and in, in, in the book, I talk about this. Um, I got held back in fourth grade, you know, and I couldn't figure out why I was always in the slow reading group. I was always in a group that, you know, um, I was always scared to read out loud. Uh, words would mix up on me. Um, I was never a great student and I always felt like the teachers were always like, you know, okay, you're going to be in this, in this slow group or the slow place. I would always do really well math and history. Those were great subjects for me. But I, I remember that, you know, I, I got all kinds of scholarship, uh, scholarship offers for football. Uh, I went to school here in Cincinnati called Cincinnati Moeller. Um, it's a pretty big, you know, uh, athletic school here in, in Cincinnati. And so I had all these, these, these offers, but I, had one small problem. Every time I kept taking the SAT, I would not get the 700 that I needed to be able to take it. And a lot of people laugh and go, well, don't you get 400 points just for signing your name? The answer is yes. But I will tell you, um, you know, you, you look at that and just, I, I couldn't take a time test. I, w- I couldn't read the, the, the story problems. I couldn't do this. And so finally my mom took me to Sylvan Learning Center and said, you know, um, can you help Chris study for the SAT? They had an SAT program to be able to help people pass the SATs. And the lady, after two visits with me, calls my mom and says, have you ever had him tested for dyslexia? And my mom's like, no, you know, and we end up finding out my senior year um, that I had dyslexia. And I got tested. I went out and um, was able to take the SAT untimed. I ended up passing it. It was great, but I just remember how hard it was uh, for me to to overcome that. But I did. You know, here's a kid that you know uh, was a complete D student for diploma in high school, barely getting by. And, you know, and, and even today when I read a document, I have to read the document over and over and over again, but I never gave up. I, I was, I had to be stronger than my strongest excuse. My strongest excuse is like, oh, I have a dyslexia. So I'm just going to, I'm just going to be, make that my, my Achilles heel or my excuse. No, I have to be stronger than that. And reading the book when we had, um, when we had the group reading the, when I was doing this for Amazon and everybody else, um, I remember the first day we were supposed to read, you know, three chapters of The Secret Is You. Now, I listen to Audible all the time. I'm sorry, it was Audible that I was doing this for. And I listen to Audible books all the time. You know, I have all my legal documents. They're transcribed so I can listen to them as I'm kind of, you know, so I don't have to read everything. And so I remember I was supposed to read three chapters. I only got seven pages done of the book. Mm. I was mortified that here I am, uh, an executive, you know, running a $350 million organization and I still couldn't read out loud. And it, it was really, um, you know, a, a point where I said, you know what, Chris, you know, we talk about maintenance. You, you're a big believer in maintaining things and not having to start over. I just quit reading and started listening. And I will tell you, dyslexia doesn't go away. You've got to maintain it. You've got to understand that you got to do it. So from that time frame when I did the book for Audible, I kept going back and I read now every night. I read one chapter of whatever it might be. If I'm reading a book, um, I used to just listen to them when I'd run, you know, whatever. Now I make it a habit to continuously maintain my dyslexia. So I never go back to that. Now I read things all the time for our video team. I read things online for our, our staff. I would have never done that before. 
But now um, I do it so I can keep that maintenance uh, of, of, of tackling my strongest excuse. Yeah, no, and and I love that. And, you know, again, I, I've struggled with it myself. That's one of the reasons, uh, you know, to be completely honest with folks, that's one of the reasons why as much as people are saying, hey, write a book, write a book, write a book, uh, it's one of the reasons that's been kind of holding me back and why I went the podcast route instead. I can talk all day. Uh, my Mine shows up when I'm actually typing. Like reading doesn't bother me so much. Uh, but, but, you know, typing is what, and, and, uh, for me, it's, it's words that end in ing. Like I, I always type them IGN, uh, like every time. So anyways, uh, so, you know, I can kind of identify with some of those struggles there. And I, I was lucky that mine was, uh, milder, um, and, but in some ways not so much. Cause I think that's why I went so long without discovering that it was a thing, uh, is because I could read fairly well, but writing was always what held me back in school. So one of the reasons why I didn't go to college, one of the reasons why I went in the Marines instead of going to college was uh, this thing. And, and what yeah. I love about it, though, is, is sharing it, right, and and seeing what you've done. And, you know, we, we talk about the Richard Bransons and, and those folks. You know, it, it's a great message to have out there, and thank you for sharing it in your book, because a lot of people have this this issue a lot of people are undiagnosed with it because, you know, sometimes these kids are kind of like what you mentioned, uh, you know, either misdiagnosed or, or held back because they're, quote, slow or whatever. Uh, so I just want to say, you know, again, thank you for sharing your story and, and kind of how that rolled out for you, because uh, it's a good story for people who are dealing with it to see another successful person. Well, I appreciate that, Earl. You know, and I, I will tell you, I think it is, it's true, is more we can normalize this. I, I did uh, talk a whole episode on one of my podcasts about this. And, you know, it's amazing that, you know, I tell people all the time, you know, don't, don't get frustrated with your dyslexic kids or, you know, or, or family members, you know, like, you know, make sure you're there to support them and they're going to be okay, you know, but you've got to you, you help them through this, this situation. I, I always say that my mom was always like, gosh, you know, you graduated 167 out of 169. Yeah, I well, I graduated very low in my class, but I'm the most successful in my class too. So, you know, there's, there, there's something to be said with, you know, just because you're given, you know, a challenge doesn't mean you can, can't overcome it. And, and just, because you graduate low in your class doesn't mean that you're going to be an unsuccessful person. I never used any of the things that my teachers, you know, had told me in high school. A lot of them said, oh, you should go into some sort of a trade or some sort of whatever. And I just never felt that that was anything that was, I was inspired by, right? I didn't want to go into a trade. They were like, you need to go do this because essentially, you know, what they were saying is that, you know, that I wouldn't be able to do a corporate job or I wouldn't be able to do this. Um, it's kind of interesting now that I look back at that and say, you know what, that's by letting somebody else put their story on you. And I'm not allowing, I don't allow that for my kids and I don't allow that for myself. Yeah. No, I like it. It's a, you know, how do you like me now kind of thing, right? <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> well, no, but I mean, yeah, and again, that's it. And, and I think the point here is, you know, a lot of people struggle with a lot of different things. And, and going back to that ownership and, and empowerment piece, uh, you know, it, everybody's got their own thing, right? It, it's hard to sit back and really believe. And I know some people do, but really believe that, hey, this person has it all figured out. When chances are pretty good, they're dealing with something that you'll never know, you'll never see because of how they internalize it. And when we normalize it, 
we can build those relationships a little bit tighter, help each other through it, and make these things a little mess of a, of a stigma that people have to deal with. Uh, so again, I, I love it. I appreciate you sharing it. Uh, but you talked about your podcast again. Uh, so uh, if I remember right here, the title of your podcast is The Secret Is You, right? Yep. Yep. The yep. Secret Is You uh, podcast I've been running, you know, um, and, and yeah, really it's just getting on, sharing some ideas, sharing different things that have happened uh, in my life, in my day. I, I do a lot for, you know, uh, small business entrepreneurs, people that are looking to to go out there and and and, and be able to just have conversation. I think the biggest thing for me that what I like to do with business owners is normalize the questions that I know they're thinking, because when you're running something or building something, you kind of feel like you're by yourself. You feel like you're on an island, um, things you can't ask your staff, things you can't talk about with your significant other. And so um, it's just giving ideas and giving things to be thinking about um, in there, because I, I think, you know, how, how I kind of would would tell you is by one of my big takeaways from everything in the secret is you is that you're the number one asset, right? Like you, meaning you, the person that I'm talking to right now, you're the asset, right? Like you're the biggest rainmaker. You're the person that's going to make everything happen. And so we have to take care of ourselves. We have to make sure that we're maintaining, uh, you know, a, a healthy lifestyle. If it's going out there, making sure that we're putting good food into our body, making sure if we're exercising or just moving in a day, uh, making sure we stay a student, making sure that we're out there networking and we're getting our, 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 at, our life fulfilled by the different people that we're bringing into it. And that's, that's really, um, one of the biggest things that I will, you know, wanted to make sure that your listeners take away today. And again, you know, just appreciate you being on the show, but just that that the secret is you. And when you start owning that and being that, you start believing that, um, you start making yourself a priority. You start making it understand that you are the asset and you need to take care of you because people, they might buy products, but they're buying products from you. They buy you. They buy what you tell them. They buy how you interact with them. They buy, you know, how you make them feel. So as long as you're taking care of yourself in this picture, that's where, that's where the real wealth will become for you and your business. Mm. No, I love it. I love it. And folks, uh, it's a great podcast. I highly recommend you go subscribe to it. I'm subscribed to it. Uh, I've only listened to a handful of episodes, but uh, they're, they're all fantastic. Um, but uh, they they go great. You know, I love the fact that you got the, the book and, and the podcast named the same thing. So everything's easy to find. Um, but I'm going to have a link to your podcast in the show notes because I want people to go subscribe to this and, and listen to it. Um, well, Chris, we've been chatting here for close to 45 minutes here and it has been a great conversation in my opinion. Uh, hopefully you've enjoyed yourself as well. I've uh, had a blast. I really appreciate <laughs> you having me, Earl. Yeah, no, I, I love it. You shared a lot of great info and, uh, I'm just curious before we work to wrap things up here, uh, is there anything that we didn't get a chance to touch on that you really want to leave listeners with? No, I think, you know, everything is, like I said, the, you're, you are the number one asset. And I, and I think once people start believing that, that aspect, things will start happening in their life. And, and the only other thing is, is Earl, can I come and have you come on my podcast? Would that be something I can have you do? Oh, it'd be an honor. It would be All an right, honor. Good. Well, I have my team set that up too. Okay. Yeah. No, I love it. I love it. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Well, sir. Uh, so if people are, you know, let's say, uh, cause I do have a decent, uh, uh, female audience here. Let's say some women have heard this and they want to find out more about, uh, pure romance, joining the pure romance family. Uh, anybody listening wants to, to find out about more about the book, 
uh, find out more about what you do, what's a good way for them to, to go about doing that? All right. Two places, pureromance.com. Pureromance.com would be where if you're looking at the business opportunity, you want to find out more about products, things that we do. Um, and if you're looking for the book, it's secretisyou.com. Um, secretisyou.com is the book. All right. Outstanding. Outstanding. Well, Chris, uh, again, listeners, uh, we've been with Chris Ciccinelli. Uh, the secret is you. Uh, I'm going to have all of this stuff in the link so you can go check it out. Chris, thank you very much for your time, man. I really appreciate you being with me today. Earl, thanks again. I really appreciate you too. All right. And listeners, uh, if you need to reach out to me, you know, burden.command at gmail.com. That's burden.command at gmail.com. Whether you've got a guest idea, a uh, story you want to share, whatever it is, if you just want to reach out and say hi, burden.command at gmail.com. Thank you all for rating, reviewing, subscribing, and sharing the show and doing all those great things to help these messages, like Chris's, uh, get spread further and reach more people. Thank you for your time, and I look forward to speaking with you again in the next episode. Have you ever wondered what actually happens in Congress every day? Stay informed on Capitol Hill's daily happenings with a concise, factual summary of the Senate and House of Representatives activities from the previous session, free from bias, on the Congressional Record Daily Digest podcast. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and discover the process from the heart of U.S. politics. The Congressional Record Daily Digest, an Electricast production. Welcome to Transforming 45, the podcast that celebrates the incredible power of passionate voices. I'm your host, Lisa Boat. Join me in conversation with heart-led humans who share their deeply personal stories of transformation. Transforming 45 is here to uplift, connect, and remind you that it's never too late to write your next chapter. So get ready to be inspired, empowered, and transformed. Join me in this community where through powerful storytelling, we heal and reclaim our inherent magic. Electric acid. Electric acid.